Hi, this is Andrew, and this is Keynote, the daily now.tv chat show with some of the world's leading thinkers and writers. Hello, everybody. It's Monday, the 18th of December, 2023. We are crawling towards the end of the year, crawling towards 2024. Sometimes it seems as if this show is a real crime show. Um, a couple of days ago, we did a show with uh, the husband and wife crime writing team of Geneva Rose and Drew Pine, a best-selling writer, particularly Geneva Rose. They have a new audio book out called Crime Time, which is based on an experience in which the apartment above theirs in Chicago was robbed and they found that it was inhabited by drug dealers. Um, and then uh, two days ago, we did a show with Max Marshall as a fascinating new book out called Among the Bros, a fraternity crime story, a story about uh, fraternity brothers uh, in Charleston um, who became big time uh, narcotic criminals. Um, a few months ago, we did a show with Miles Johnson. Uh, he's the FT's uh, correspondent on uh, the secret world of international crime. Johnson is also the author of Chasing Shadows, a true story of the drug war and the secret world of international crime. He joins the dots. Uh, it was a very interesting show. And um, Miles's new book, Chasing Shadows, has been turned into a, um, uh, one of the top podcasts, one of the most popular podcasts at the moment. Um, it's called, uh, they've got a new series out, The New Narcos. It's number one in the business charts of the US, although I'm not entirely sure it's a business podcast, but I thought we'd get Miles back to talk international crime, drugs, and podcasts. Miles, Congratulations on the success, both of the book and of the podcast, which is put out by Pushkin. I wonder, and, and, and this comes actually back to um, Geneva Rose and Drew Pine's new book, an audio book on, true, uh, on crime time. Is there some sort of connection between all this new media, audio books, podcasts, and our fascination with crime and particularly drug crime? You're, um, you've seen it in every sense. You're a writer, a journalist, uh, but also someone who now has a very popular podcast. Are they connected or am I imagining things? Well, I think we're certainly going through a sort of true crime boom across the world, but I think it's just the things which are inherent to uh, crime stories, which are not specific to this particular period. Just, you know, in these crime stories, you often have really high stakes, you know, for quite um, colorful characters, you know, have these very bizarre people so for example in um uh, our new podcast you know hot money the new narcos you have these sorts of criminal entrepreneurs these are people who in another walk of life perhaps could have sort of run a you know a fortune 500 company but they end up running huge drug empires and they are you know terrible people committing terrible crimes you know linked to multiple murders but they're also very interesting characters and trying to understand how they came to sort of go down that path I asked uh, Max Marshall this, the author of uh, Among the Bros, a fraternity crime story, is uh, a, a young reporter based in New York, whether he was glorifying some of these people. And his response was ambivalent. I wonder what you think, um, 
Miles, uh, one of the uh, one of the ways in which Pushkin are promoting your your new series uh, is on on X, and there's a big message saying the first message reads, "Got a nice job for you, bro." Is there a danger? I mean, the the, the new series is based on the assassination of um, uh, an Iranian in in Holland. Is there a danger of glorifying of glamorizing all this crime so that many of your listeners and viewers don't really understand that there's real suffering real people involved here there is definitely that danger and it's something that we you know thought very very carefully about and something i always think very carefully about i mean it is something where you are trying to you know tell stories about these people you know who have committed terrible crimes but you're but you're not trying you're trying to humanize them to ex an extent but not excuse their crimes and it's a very difficult balance and it's something where you always have to be mindful of uh the victims um in in this podcast you know we we, we very much start off the story and focus on a victim you know a man who was murdered um you know in by this this super cartel effectively you know this is a group of um uh, different drug traffickers from different countries around Europe who will end up in Dubai around 2017 and in their own countries they're sort of leading organized criminals and they all go to Dubai because they can't be extradited from there and it's a very easy place to take all of their sort of money with them and um, they become mixed up in this state-sponsored assassination which is eventually decided by the Dutch government it was conducted by Iran we begin our story there with a victim and um, we, we we very much uh, don't lose sight of the horrific acts that these people are carrying out at the same time these are people who are as i said you know they are they are individuals with life choices like anyone else and they make big decisions which affect their lives going forward you know what the one of the main sort of characters so to speak in in the podcast uh daniel kinahan a irish uh crime boss you know he has sort of been groomed by his father to take over a criminal empire his father is always uh trying to stay in the shadows stay you know out of police attention and keep a low profile yet his son does the opposite he decides to make himself very high profile gets involved in things like boxing and someone tries to kill him in dublin in 2016 and he faces a choice so like any human being he faces a choice he, he makes it he faces the choice of retaliating and or basically trying to let the whole thing thing lie and that, that choice affects the rest of his life so we're not trying to uh, sympathize with these characters but we are trying to sort of examine um the thought processes that they have and why they take the decisions they do yeah you mentioned dan daniel kinahan and the, the beginning of your second series the the podcast focuses on this rather glamorous group of Irish criminals who go to Dubai and organize these murders. Sometimes when I was listening, it, it reminds me of these superhero movies. Hmm. Is, is there a degree of glamour to people like Kinahan and the, the networks, the murderous networks, the drug networks that these people are running? I mean, I don't think so at all. I don't think there's any glamour there. I think it's actually an extremely tacky, sort of cheap type of wealth, you know, where um, they've all gone to uh, Dubai, where, yes, they have this sort of lifestyle where they, you know, throw money around, you know, drink, you know, expensive bottles of Cristal and, you know, ridiculous nightclubs with terrible music and, you know, chandeliers with diamonds on them and stuff. And they stay in, you know, expensive hotels. But there's no substance there. Ultimately, these are people who are, you know, 
they're people who have built their fortunes on terrible crimes and they're people who are isolated and lonely at the end of the day because they are hounded by international law enforcement they operate in a brutal world where you can't really trust anyone you know you're surrounded by criminals by nature of being an organized crime group um an organized crime boss um so i don't think there's a glamour there i think um, there's a risk that it can be glamorized but actually it's a very empty sort of um opulence which is um at the end of the day just very um depressing empty opulence that might reflect dubai and the whole neoliberal uh nature of the world miles your day job is at the ft you're a serious journalist i wonder whether all this criminality our obsession with criminality these international drug lords and all the murders associated with them does it reflect the the neoliberalism or the post neoliberalism of the 2020s we had a show with uh benjamin fong quick fixes uh it's a book specifically about america but how does this all connect with the with the broader structural um, themes of the world economy? You're as well positioned as anyone to discuss this, given on the one hand, you write about these cartels. On the other hand, uh, you work at the FT, the world, perhaps, arguably, I like it, the world's preeminent financial newspaper. Oh, well, um, I, think, I think that's an excellent question. I think really that's actually what this show is about. It's about how... The sort of the the patterns and the developments we see in international organized crime mirror the geopolitics of the age we live in so if you look back sort of to the 1990s you had the breakup of the soviet union you had the breakup of states and it created a whole new sort of wave of consolidation of international criminal groups you had a lot of sort of organized crime groups coming from Eastern Europe and establishing themselves in the West. And uh, it's a sort of story which, you know, would have been told in things like Misha Glenny's Mick Mafia and things like that. Now we live in a different age. We live in an age of um, these sorts of uh, much more, you know, authoritarian, centralized states, you know, who are competing, sort of geopolitical competition has changed. And you have this rise of this type of criminal who is much more closely associated with nation states. So with sanctions and the sort of breakdown of the sort of rules-based sort of Western economic order, where big countries like Russia or Iran are sort of placed under sanctions, they're cut off from international markets to a certain extent, and they turn to these sorts of facilitators. And they sort of look a bit like businessmen on the one hand, they're a bit like criminals on another hand, and they you know could just be smugglers, people facilitating the movement of things like microchips, you know, which Russia is starved of and needs for military technology or other technology, or it could be people, you, these are a range of characters and they're a different type of criminal to what we've seen um, in the last few decades. So, you know, it could be North Korean hackers who are sort of hacking Bitcoin on behalf of the North Korean state to fund missile programs, or it could be the Wagner group, who I've written a lot about, Yevgeny Prigozhin, he's a sort of businessman on one on the one hand, he's designated as a transnational criminal boss by the US or was until he died by the US um, at the same time. Um, you know, you have the Syrian government uh, involved in the captagon trade, you know, the um, production and distribution of a type of amphetamine, which is um, prevalent in the Middle East. So with sanctions, you have and this sort of geopolitical um, climate we're in, you have a significant rise in these new types of hybrid actors. And the super cartel, as we call them in um in this podcast, the Dubai super cartel, 
are, you know, they're a group of European cocaine traffickers who get mixed up in a state-sponsored assassination for Iran. So you have foreign intelligence services outsourcing assassinations and hits to criminal groups in Europe, which is something that should be widely documented, you know, remarked on by, you know, Britain's security minister and, and other governments. So it's a, it is a very, very important part of this. So it really goes beyond the sort of true, it, there's an element of true crime to this story, but really it's a story about money. You know, it's, it's a story which by the FT, but it's a story about money. It's about can Western governments control how money moves around the world? Will they be able to keep that control in a time when the sort of rules-based political order is breaking apart? You have much more geopolitical competition. Can you stop Iran from moving money to, for example, Houthi rebels in Yemen? Can you stop Russia from accessing, you know, military equipment from North Korea? That's really at the heart of this story. We're speaking with Miles Johnson, the author of Chasing Shadows, and very much involved with the uh, Hot Money, the hit new podcast, which is put out by Pushkin in association with the FT. How much of this, Miles, is also bound up with the crisis or decline of, of America um, as the world's superpower and the world's policeman? I'm guessing that there are a lot of connections because there's always been rogue states, North Korea, Iran, uh, Soviet Union, China. But America has always effectively managed or policed this system. And it seems as if in Ukraine and Gaza these days, they're failing to do so. And I'm assuming this reflects on what you're also reporting on. Well, you definitely see with the, you know, there is a, there is a, a pattern we saw where, after 9-11, uh, a lot of um, well, US law enforcement, so the DEA, for example, you know, um, which is obviously the agency responsible for sort of policing drugs, they did a lot of things abroad, you know, sort of in, with the war on terror, there was a lot of funding given to the DEA, and they started to focus on a lot of international targets, which sort of stepped out of the typical drug trafficking template. So they were sort of bringing in very prominent arms dealers. So people like Victor Boot, you know, the famous Russian arms dealer, he was arrested in a sort of landmark DEA operation. What you've seen in recent years is mirroring the sort of war fatigue in the United States, you know, the sort of retrenchment from these like conflicts which came from the war on terror, such as in Afghanistan. You've also seen a lot, a, a loss of appetite for US law enforcement to go on these complicated international um, sort of adventures and missions. Um, and so it, uh, that said, that still the DEA is still really leading um, the world in terms of tackling these issues. You know, the, the, the Kinahan cartel, you know, who play a big role in this podcast, the DEA, um, it was a joint sort of project by multiple law enforcement agencies, obviously the Irish one, um, especially in Europe, but the DEA played a really, really important role in that. So did US Customs and Border so um, the U.S. is still playing a very important role in sort of these international policing operations, but there is this uh, lower appetite, and uh, yeah, and that also coincides with the, the the terrible opioid crisis in the United States. And um, you know, there are voices who say, no, you shouldn't be, you know, bothering going after sort of drug kingpins in you know former Yugoslavia or something. You should actually be focusing on our streets in the United States and the opioid crisis and policing borders um, in the United States. So it's um, it's definitely all linked in that way. Miles, you talked about the Kinahan gang based in Ireland and the rise of the nation state sort of criminal, uh, this new authoritarian criminality in our age of the 
the revived nation state. It mirrors the politics of, of where we live in. Of course, and I guess there's some ironies here. You you focus on the international uh, crime, but much of the domestic politics, we had riots in Ireland last week or the week before about immigration, are about the the trafficking of people. How does your work and, and the story in Chasing Shadows and, 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 and the new podcast, how does it connect with the new authoritarian politics of anti-immigration? Is there a connection? Um, I think there's certainly, uh, when people in Europe feel, um, you know, there have been a rise in sort of, you know, murders and shootings in places like uh, Sweden, um, and obviously in Holland, you know, one of the, um, you know, seen as one of the world's most um, stable and wealthiest, you know, democracies, you know, there was a sort of explosion in organized criminal activity linked to the cocaine trade. And I think that um, does create a sense of in, you know sort of insecurity and stability in um, the population and that can in certain cases fuel things like right-wing populism um but it's uh a lot of this stuff is just so complicated and transnational it's sort of you have these bizarre um sort of circumstances where a lot of the bosses of these organizations are not in the countries where they're carrying out the crimes you know so that's another thing which has really changed in the last 30 years where 30 years ago it wasn't possible now because of things like encrypted phones and messaging systems you can run a criminal empire and a fairly complicated logistical supply chain for your criminal empire from for example a villa in dubai and you can be trafficking large amounts of cocaine into you know rotterdam or antwerp and be distributing it across the whole of europe and be also ordering you know murders and um you know hits on your rivals and so on and it's all done from far away so um the perception in those countries is potentially that it's a situation which is out of control on the ground and it's the fault of the government but it's actually very very difficult for a single european government or police force to actually stop this stuff and that's what you saw with the these um you know people in the so-called super cartel in dubai is that lots of law enforcement agencies across Europe and the US had to team up to actually tackle them. And they still haven't arrested some of them. You know, the Kinahan cartel leaders are sanctioned by the US Treasury. There's a $5 million reward on all of their heads, but they're still at large. You know, no one knows where they are. Some people think they're still in Dubai. Some people think they might be somewhere else in the Middle East. You know, there's rumors they might even be in Russia. I mean, you know, there's all of these rumors flying around. But the point is, is that even then, the combined forces of all of these governments, all of these police forces, hasn't been actually able to arrest them a year after they were sanctioned. So the perception on the ground in, so, in any country across Europe can be, oh, there's crime is out of control. Um, I don't think it actually is in comparison to, for example, your average large American city. You know, the number of murders happening in a European capital is far far lower than that but um it's not really possible for the governments in those countries to do that much on their own yeah it reminds me of the crypto queen i'm sure you're familiar with that book and the yes of, great story um and, and we've had the author of the crypto queen uh, on the show when one thinks of these cartels and these bosses and then one thinks of these authoritarian leaders who seem to be in and out of if not prison, certainly in and out of court all the time. Trump comes to mind, Putin, uh, even Netanyahu. Is there a connection between the kinds of uh, fashionable authoritarian politics these days or authoritarian figures and the way they present themselves and people like Kinahan? 
there's certainly something there. I mean, you know, there's an interesting sort of blend in this um, environment of, you know, Kinahan became quite well known as a boxing promoter. You know, he was promoting and um, advising really, really prominent, really prominent um, boxers. So, um, and he's also, he was sort of posting social media posts of himself on, you know, on, on Instagram or whatever. And um, he, at the same time, was running a criminal group. So there's this element of, um, the world we live in, which is a sort of Trump-esque sort of social media phenomenon of, uh, you know, the kind of Instagram influencer, businessman and criminal kind of boss all being merged into one. Yeah. Again, you, you have to be careful about glamorizing these people. Um, we are talking with Johnson, the author of Chasing Shadows, very much involved in a hit new podcast about uh, the international world of crime and drugs. Uh, I want to remind everyone uh, that Liberties, a quarterly journal of culture and politics, is sponsoring this show. They don't deal much with crime, and they're certainly not a criminal enterprise. Uh, but they're excellent, well worth reading. I'm going to run a short feature, and then we'll be back with Miles to talk more about the new podcast series, um, Hot Money. So don't go away, anyone. News, the noise, there is nuance, insight. Liberties, it's not just a journal of ideas. It's a meteor of intelligent substance. It's the place to be for engaged citizens. Politics, opinion, substance. Liberties is a triumph for freedom of thought. A quarterly of urgency, of cultural exploration, of intellectual delight, of immaculate prose. It's invaluable. Subscribe now or find Liberties at your favorite bookseller. And you can subscribe to Liberties, well worth it, at libertiesjournal.com. We're speaking with Miles Johnson, uh, the author of Chasing Shadows and very much involved. He's the narrator of a hit new uh, podcast, The New Narcos, uh, Hot Money. Um, Miles, are you still there? I thought that Kinahan perhaps... Hello, I am here. Yeah, I thought Kinahan had wiped you out, but you're back. Um, <laughs> some people will have already read the book, uh, Chasing Shadows. It's doing very well. How does it connect with the podcast? Have you got new material in Hot Money, or is it really an adaptation in, of the book? No, it's entirely new material. So it's thematically connected because it's about sort of a similar phenomenon slightly later on. So, you know, the action in Chasing Shadows really happens from... 2014 to about 2016, 2017. All of this, most of the stuff in this podcast is about stuff which has happened after 2017, and it's a different group. So it's it's about the European cocaine trade and the explosion of the European cocaine trade. And you know, in Chasing Shadows, it's about you know focuses very much on the investigations of a DEA agent called Jack Kelly, who was instrumental in sort of really understanding the complexities of how the international nature of how the European cocaine trade was now for financing itself and how the money laundering side really sort of branched off into all of these other elements, including sort of terrorist financing and all of these connecting all of these different criminal groups. This podcast is about more focused on these characters in Dubai who came a little bit later. So it's like almost like the next evolution, the next stage of um, what I was writing about in Chasing Shadows. Uh, and is it put to it? As I said, it's put together by Pushkin. You're the narrator. You do a good job, but you're working with the guys at Pushkin. What What did you learn, or what have you learned as a journalist, a writer, the author of Chasing Shadows about 
the medium of podcasting versus the yeah, medium been a of writing books versus the medium of writing your columns in the FT? Yeah, it's really been a fascinating uh, learning experience. I mean, podcasts are just a completely different medium. And it's uh, this is obviously the first time I've ever done it. I've been, you know, I've been on podcasts and sort of conversational podcasts such such like you know something like this but doing a narrative podcast where you have to sustain a sort of story and the listeners interest over eight episodes is just a completely different um game to anything i've ever done before and um yeah it was it's just a it has its um particular strengths you know it has some some weaknesses some of the things you can't you can do when you're writing a book or especially an article in terms of you know uh trying to provide information to a to a reader in detail it just doesn't work in audio you know you can't have really long lists of facts and names and stuff you know and you also interviewing people is completely different you know when you're interviewing something for somebody for an article or a, um or a book you know something that's going to be in text it's it's not so important you know the way they deliver their story whereas you know in in this podcast we have these fantastic sort of um you know accounts by protagonists people who were there you know the police who were in the room the person who arrested christy kinahan you know the patriarch of the kinahan family in 1985 the first time he was arrested you know him telling his account of him going in undercover to this apartment block in dublin and his heart you know pumping as he's outside the door in this apartment block and knocking on the door and not knowing if there's going to be a guy with a sort of machine gun behind the door and you know what christy kinahan did when he saw him and you know all of this is but it's it's a very different way of interviewing someone it's something i've really had to um learn and i i'm lucky to work with fantastic people you know the people at um pushkin you know the producer of the show called peggy sutton is brilliant and um you know people at pushkin are brilliant and they're just they're the experts and so working with them made it um a lot a lot easier yeah the pushkin people have done a good job that made these uh made these episodes very attractive or the, in their names one's called gangster paradise sun guns and sangria cocaine ceo we've already talked about the dangers of, of glamorizing this as you noted um malcolm gladwell one of the world's leading bestseller writers is also one of the co-founders of of um pushkin how, how do you think these hit podcasts help writers can they lend themselves to adding value to books or is it an either or is it a zero-sum game between whether people listen to the podcast or read books it's an interesting question i mean i think obviously a lot of people now listen to audiobooks um there a lot of people also listen to podcasts but i think podcasts as a as a delivery mechanism for something which would be traditionally considered a sort of you know something like a book you know especially as if it's a narrative um can work very well but there are also you know there's sort of there's expectations of genre in um certain types of narrative podcasts you know where um you know they're not entirely the same there's a lot of um you know my book chasing shadows it's is not about me i am not in that book as an author you know it's it's, it's written in the third person and it's about told through the eyes of the characters in that book um, I don't appear in it once. The word I, as in me, does not appear in that book once. Yeah, but we know it's you narr narrating it. So we no, know it's me narrating it. But uh, in, in, a, in a podcast, you know, I'm very much more at the front of the narration. You know, I'm talking um, right. in the first person and my experience of, you know, interviewing and meeting these characters and doing this reporting. So that's very, very different and was something which I found quite tricky to adjust to. It's not something that comes naturally to me to um, to sort of report in that way. But I, I think um, 
you know, there, there's definitely a sort of spectrum where an, an audiobook and a podcast um, uh, sort of are on, are on that spectrum. It's just, uh, I don't think that they replace one or the other. I just think that the, you know, the, the, the genre has strengths, the medium has strengths and weaknesses like any. And I think it, um, some things just work quite well in audio, which don't work in text and vice versa. As I said, I'm a big admirer of the FT. They've clearly given you a great deal of resources to look into all these international crimes. You, you've been reporting on a story that uh, blew up last week about the bungled Vatican property deal and libel lawyers and a man who's just gone to jail in Italy. Um, are you concerned, uh, Miles, that with the crisis of journalism, which seems to have been going on for 25 years, fewer and fewer newspapers are actually committing resources and there aren't that many guys like you or many papers like the FT really dedicated to focusing on on these enormously important stories because you don't write daily pieces you're more of a, a thematic writer for the FT and presumably they trust you to just go out and do great stuff and every month or two you write for them well I mean it's I'm sort of I'm yeah super lucky to be able to do that sort of work and but you know I don't necessarily agree that there's been this um decline you know just on my team you know I work you know with just a, some amazing journalists I think people who you would you would know like you know Dan McCrum who yeah who, uh, yeah he investigated uh what is that German firm he's yeah, been wire card yeah he's you know brilliant journalist you know um, Madison Marriage another brilliant journalist everyone on the team is you know fantastic and um you know doing really yeah but you are and, and I'm not attacking. I mean the FT is great but mm. I mean the Wall Street Journal which is probably the, the other world's leading F, uh, financial newspaper that doesn't focus as much I mean clearly uh they've done great they've done great stories i mean it, it's it's from where i sit i mean when i started out um you know I, I sort of started the ft as a just after you know university as a trainee in 2008 and back then it was like you'll be lucky to be doing this for three years four years five years maybe you know the industry was just in an execrable decline there's not going to be newspapers in 10 years time and if i think back to how everyone thought then actually now it's it's pretty good i mean i'm i'm seeing fantastic investigative journalism you know maybe like better than i've ever seen in my career now you know it's um there's more it might not be coming from traditional outlets the entire time it might be coming from different places you know there's all these new sort of consortiums of um investigative journalists and um doing stuff but the amount of stuff it's like there's so much stuff is sometimes hard news, to read it yeah all. and 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 i guess in that sense podcasts are very good because they provide another source of revenue another kind of business model and medium finally miles what about on the policy side we've done many shows on how to address the crisis of drugs and criminality some uh, policymakers like Carl hart in the us believe that you simply should legalize most drugs uh, others are more concerned we did a show with the new york times writer azam ahmed on the basically chaos and the, the the way in which mexico has become a, a drug mafia run company we even did one with another british journalist deborah bonello on the rise of uh women in latin america cartels what lessons from both the book and the podcast have you got out of addressing uh law and drugs is is decriminalizing the fix or would these gangs just move on to train to trading in 
illegal weapons or crypto or something else but that's that's the thing which is uh really yeah really interesting um element of this is that yes like you know organized criminal groups um are very likely just to pivot to something else you know you've seen that in um it's i'm sure um as am said uh yeah you see this in mexico where people start to um, if they can't uh, make money from, um, you know, drugs trafficking, they move into other types of extortion or kidnapping or, um, you know, things like stealing fuel, um, you know, so it's, um, it's and refugee tra smuggling, yeah, refugee. human trafficking, you know, it's, it's, um, it's, if it was as simple as just simply decriminalizing everything and all organized crime would stop, then, um, you know, I think that would be a nice outcome, but I suspect it's uh, more complicated than that because these groups, um, you know, there can be very legitimate arguments about um, decriminalizing uh, certain drugs at the same time as recognizing that these these organized criminal groups are a really huge sort of hybrid threat to, you know, they're effectively a threat to civil society and democracies. Um, and Are they? Uh, I mean, they kill each other, but do they really bother anyone else? Oh, yes. I mean, look, if you look at what's happened in Holland, I mean, you know, Holland is a country where no one thinks of Holland as being sort of, you know, it's just like the most, you know, sort of boring, politically boring, you know, stable democracy. Yet you've had, you know, with the trial, the Marengo trial is called this trial of this um character who's, you know, features in this podcast called Ridwan Targi, uh, you know, who's a sort of notorious Dutch Moroccan drugs trafficker. He was, um he, he uh, is connected or believed to be you know, it's on trial for multiple murders but you know the most uh, prominent tv crime journalist in holland was gunned down on the street you know and that many hours, yeah and, and actually talking out loud and this comes back to the question i asked at the beginning uh, my understanding is that a lot of the support for wilders is 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 uh, not so much anti-immigrant but also built into the environment and drugs so maybe there there is a connection to yeah, between, I look, I, I think, uh, gang warfare and authoritarian politics. Yeah, I think sadly, um, when people feel um, threatened, uh, it can lead to people, um, take, you know, voting for sort of authoritarian or uh, well, at least you know, uh, anti-democratic sort of or, uh, political um, people who are much more likely to sort of embrace those sort of politics. You know, because that's what breeds that sort of politics is a sort of insecurity. But it's um. It's. Uh, I do think it's a. Uh, uh, it's. It's a. It's an issue which is more complicated than um, just simply decriminalisation.